It's another Waterproof Records. Thank you for joining me once again. And yes, it's a guest episode. These are always so exciting because, you know, when you're just stuck with me talking to you, I kind of know where I'm going to go. But when I have somebody on the show, anything is possible, right? It could be the most controversial podcast of all time. We never know. This could be the one where I get canceled, you guys. Um, I'm just kidding. So uh, I'm excited to welcome somebody that if you follow me on social media, you uh, no doubt know who this is because we've collaborated a couple times now. We're becoming the best of friends. The only thing that separates us are many, many miles between our cities. But he has become a good friend of mine. He's a music wizard. And uh, we're about to do a show with Mr. Patrick Hicks. But first, we're going to start out with a theme song. Let's go. All right, you guys, before we kick things off, we're going to give a shout out to the sponsor of Waterproof Records. That is DistroKid. You've heard me talk about it before, but you're going to hear me talk about it again. And you know that you can get 30% off for your first year of using DistroKid. What is DistroKid? It is the way for you to get your music on the air. On the air. That's kind of an old school term, but you know what I mean. Spotify, iTunes, Deezer, isn't that one of them? Tidal, (laughs) there's all these music platforms, but everybody knows the heavy hitters. But if you want to release independent music, you need to be reaching out and using DistroKid. It's so easy. If you've got songs, you've got beats, you've got jams, and you want the world to hear them, this is your source. And if you click on my VIP link, which is in all the profiles of everything I have, you get 30% off. It's just distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof. I use them. I plan on using them for many years to come. And it's the best way that you can get your music out there fast and easy. So make sure you check out DistroKid, follow the link, and get that 30% off. But now, now, the moment you've been waiting for, you saw the name of the episode. You saw Patrick Hicks. You were like, what? I'm going to learn so much on this episode. I'm going to literally walk away with my head exploding full of data about music and songs and everything, because that's what Patrick does. So I am going to welcome to Waterproof Records right now. Let's talk to Patrick Hicks. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for having me on. I love uh, that intro. Music wizard. I'm going to have to start using that. You need to put it on business cards, dude. It needs to I never, say pa- you know, Patrick Hicks, music wizard. Yeah. I never knew what to call myself, there you, go. <clears throat> you know, when I first started doing this, because I'm like just some guy and everybody's mm-hmm. like, are you a music historian? Are you in the music business? Are you a musician? Nope. Yeah. Nope. 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 So um, I like music storyteller, music celebrator, but yes. music wizard is <laughs> might be the new one. What I love right now for the people who uh, only listen to the show and not watch the show, he's got a pumpkin shirt on, and I've got a pumpkin shirt on. He's did, was that in honor of me? Yes, but also in honor of the the topic of the podcast. Yeah. Oh, good, 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 good. I am excited. I uh, I love that Patrick. All your stuff says Patrick Hicks Music Stories, and that is what it says when you follow him on social media. And if you don't follow him on social media, what are you doing? You have to go check him out. It's uh, <laughs> your your handle is just on on TikTok. What is it? Just Patrick Hicks. It's actually it's at Patrick Hicks eighty two. Uh-huh. 
Because I think when I first signed up for TikTok, Patrick Hicks was taken. So I threw my birth year on there. Yeah. And um, I, w- you know, I was not thinking when I signed up for TikTok that I was going to make TikToks. So I didn't put that much thought into it. Um, so now I'm Same. trying to go with the Patrick Hicks music stories as the brand. So that's what yeah. it is on Instagram. But. Yeah, I had the same problem with uh, with mine when I signed up. Somebody else had beat me to the punch with Jacob Givens, so I just threw the in front of it. And I've had people be like, <laughs> I've had people who go like, ooh, the. And I'm like, well, I, you know, but you're forever bound now to your age. You got to, you know, now they see the 82. They know how old you are. You can't hide it, right? I know. Well, I also I did a series that was all about, you know, me turning 40 this year. So I'm not I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah, me neither. uh, I I know it's 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 different for guys. You know, we don't have the tendency to worry about our age. You know, I live in I live in in the old L.A. And so every every lady you meet out here is like, I'll never tell. And guys are like, I don't care. I'll say (laughs) say how old I am. Um, But yeah, yeah. I love the terms that we have for what it is that we do because people always ask me as well about the music thing. And it's fun to just kind of say, no, I'm not, you know, I didn't, I didn't go to school for this. I just am a a music. We're both music lovers and we made TikToks and then we found ourselves um, one day doing them all the time with a, with a larger and larger audience. What got you started what was your your TikTok origin story? This is a, a Marvel film. Sure. So this is not uh, not kissing up to you at all. This is well documented that you are the reason I started TikTok, or one of them. You and my wife, I think, share <laughs> share co credit. The mother and father of Patrick Hicks music stories. I'll so share. I, um, I'll share gladly with your <laughs> wife. I'll share gladly. So I uh, like I'm all, I've always just, you know, been doing creative things like I studied improv at Second City. I've written screenplays. I was in bands like years and years ago. I'm just always that kind of person that's like, I can't just be a guy at a job. I have to be doing something creative. And uh, I was kind of looking for the next thing to do. I was working on the screenplay and was kind of stalled. And um, my wife is like a big believer in 30 day challenges, like do something for 30 days, like write a book for 30 days. And at the end, like. Maybe you don't have a good book, but like you have completed something. And uh, she did her own project where she learned everything about NFTs. She's like, I don't know anything about this world. It seems to be inhabited with like douche bros. Let me learn everything about it. Let me make my own NFT and like learn how to sell it and put it up on OpenSea. And she did all this stuff with NFTs. And it was really cool. And um, then she's like, all right, what are you going to do? And I was like, maybe I will make TikToks. And she was like, you're going to make TikTok content? I was like, yeah, why not? She's like, what are you going to do on there? And I was like, I have skills. I have knowledge. I could do something. And um, I use, I mostly use TikTok for like cooking videos. I think most of the people I was subscribed to before I started were cooking videos. But the one person I followed that was a music person was Jacob Givens. And I was I like, love this that. guy... I was like, this guy does music. He looks like he's around my age. He does these awesome videos where he's reacting to like songs from the 90s. And uh, and we had actually, my wife and I shared your videos back and forth like all the time. Like when we saw uh, the Smashing Pumpkins one, I think the first one we ever saw was the Temple of the Dog video where you're awesome. actually like, it cuts to you being around the fire. And my wife was like, look, this guy like totally recreated that video because we're huge fans of that song. And um, so I was like, all right, this guy's out there doing music content. He's got a lot of followers. People are watching it. I'm going to do music content. And so it just started off like, let me just tell some stories 
that I know about music that I enjoy. And then, you know, and it was going to be for 30 days and let's see what happens. And, uh, then maybe like my fifth video got like 10,000 views or something, which seemed insane. Like totally. We're telling everybody we know, like 10,000 people watched me (laughs) tell a story about Bob Dylan. Like what is, what is going on? This is weird. And then it just kept snowballing. I think pretty early on, you followed me. And I was like, this is going to sound weird, but you are the reason I make TikTok. And, um, <laughs> and then, yeah, we we met in person, became friends. I've met like so many cool people through this and gotten yeah. cool opportunities. And it's just super fun. And that was the whole thing. It was like, okay, after 30 days, let's check in. And now after every month, I kind of check in. I check in with my wife because she has to deal with a lot of the sacrifices we make to be able to do this content. Um, of course. Every month we check in, like, is it still fun? Is it still worth it? And, yeah, I love telling stories. I love, like, the feedback I get from people. So it just, uh, I don't see myself quitting anytime soon. And mm. I'm hoping to, like, try to make this something full-time. Um, yeah. Because it's, w- it's way more fun than my real job. <laughs> It's a blast, and I'm doing the same thing. I love that story, and I got a chance to hear it. And apparently, by the way, not only are we good friends and we love working on stuff together, but apparently we're twins, according to the comments after our collaboration video. There were so many people who were like, I thought it was the same guy, like back and <laughs> forth, which I thought was so amazing. I was like, I look at you and you look at me and I go, I don't think other than we th- that we're white dudes with beards. I think right. that that maybe that's about as similar as we get. But it's just really funny when people say like, oh, yeah, I just thought it was the same guy, like back and forth, you know, I think and, yeah, in the first collaboration, some people were like something like, oh, is Jacob wearing a wig or something? <laughs> there was something implying like. It was better to have hair. And I was like, right. no, this is The real one is the bald one. <laughs> That's the real look. That's the real guy. It's a real guy. But it's it's great. If, if uh, people who are listening haven't seen our first collaboration, it was the Foo Fighters. Um, mm-hmm. Patrick and I don't live in the same city, but uh, you grew up in, in Southern California, correct? Where are you yeah. from originally? So, yeah, we have this weird crossing of paths. So I grew up in Anaheim, California. I moved out to Illinois for school in 2010, and then I moved to Chicago in 2013, married a Chicago girl, have Chicago kids, so I'm kind of stuck here, (laughs) but I'm originally from California. And then didn't you go to school in Illinois, but then now live in California? I did. We have the total, we have the uh, the, uh, Oregon Trail, uh, you know, you're (laughs) (laughs) crossing paths in the covered wagons. Um, I, yes, I am originally from Oklahoma, but I moved to Illinois at the end of high school and went to college out there and I married a Chicago girl and, uh, I, we came to California and so we've been here ever since, but you know, her family's there. So I've got some California boys with a, uh, with a Chicago girl. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's pretty great that we have that connection as well, but you were, you let me know that you were coming through town and we knew we had to do something together and we were we were listing off a bunch of stuff and you had done some topics. I had done a bunch of videos. And so we were trying to figure out what would be a good one. And then when you threw out Foo Fighters, I was like, man, I've been meaning to get to that one. That right. was one I wanted yeah, to do. Same. And uh, we had a short window of time. We got to have lunch together and we filmed it in the car. And uh, it was it was fun. We whipped it together fast. And I really I really am proud of that. I think it turned out perfectly and it had a great response. And and people were so excited. You know, the ones who knew you and knew me to see us come together, which was great. No, it was super cool. We also 
happen to own the same shirt i saw you yes. wearing it in a video and i was like yes. hey i have that shirt let's wear it for this video yes i remember i remember you said i have that one too and i was like yes and so there we were at lunch both wearing the same shirt which was just even better too um but uh but yeah it was it was awesome and then since then we've had these great um videos that we make with with allison hagendorf hagendorf sorry i always say her last name wrong um but uh and and people are begging me they're like this should be a show right we need more yeah more and i know and then they're saying like this one guy was like this should be uh, this should be like this special, like you're the Patreon subscriber of, of, of these guys. Like you get this show mm. if you, and I was like, Hmm, I may need to talk about the team and see what we can do. <laughs> this is like yeah. a special treat, right? Cause everybody's you like, have oh. a Patreon. I don't, I don't. I actually, um, early on I had considered doing it. Um, mm-hmm. and then I heard all these horror stories of like guys that had, millions of followers and they couldn't get, you know, support and subscribership. And I think early on I learned that um, it's really hard to translate sure. entertaining somebody on an app and then getting them to pay. You almost I mean, have yeah, to. It's a big it, ask. For it's sure. a big ask because people are like, look, I, I, I like scrolling. I like liking and clicking the button and commenting on your videos. <laughs> but I think that's where our relationship ends. And you're like, that's fine. I get it. Sure. And, and so I knew I wanted to do something when I felt like I had something to offer that they couldn't get for free. And I don't quite know right. what that is yet. You know, probably me dancing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I pay for that. <laughs> yeah, baby. Um. But I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time, and uh, and I was excited when we were able to pull it off, and we were supposed to do it last week, and then, of course, technical problems on my end. But here we are, and uh, I don't know, man, like, before we dig into albums, um, I was going to say, what do, your, what do you want to happen the most, I think, from all of this? Like, what, what do you see for yourself hmm. in the next year or two? Um, coming from uh you know we, we we talk about this replacing our current jobs and and i think that's always something that i think about and i was just curious sure. as to what you visualize for yourself i mean it's weird like that that never would have crossed my mind when i first started doing this i never even would have thought about the that but um the longer it keeps going and like things keep happening like i've done a paid sponsorship video and i've gotten you know, artists that I really like that follow me or that have commented on videos and people saying like, you got to do something else. Um, it kind of puts the idea in your mind, like, Oh, maybe I should be doing this. And just like the messages you get of people being like, you know, I learned so much from you or like, you know, so even some people like you got me through a hard time watching your videos, stuff like that. Like it's so much more fulfilling than what I do for like a nine to five job. And uh, it's weird, but there is this kind of, I think, stigma against content creators. Like, you know, I've seen threads on Twitter and stuff where it's like, it's almost like, how dare you think that you could get paid for doing this? Like, what an entitled attitude to think you should get paid for this. But it's like, you know, they're like, if you want money, go get a real job. It's like, I have a real job. (laughs) And what I do on TikTok is so much more valuable for society. Like, I'm over here processing TPS reports and by day and at night like impacting people's lives legitimately why do i get paid for one and not for the other it's so weird but it is a big ask to be like oh i've given you all this stuff for free now you know get paid for it um so i don't know what the solution is i'd love to have a tv show i've got some ideas for how you know 
you know, all I do is tell stories. So storytelling is going to translate to TV shows, or I'd love to do like a documentary. Um, I actually think I might do that just year, this year, just like make a documentary on my own, record it on my phone, just do it like DIY style. Yeah. Just, you know, for a new challenge. Um, and I'm also working on a book. That's another thing, you know, people have asked for. Not a ton of money in books either, but uh, that's always yeah. been like a lifelong goal of mine to be a published author. So that's the whole book, TV show, who knows? Same, same. And I love it. And I, I, everything you're saying translates so clearly to me as well, because the greatest joy of all of this are those messages that you get from people um, that say, uh, you know, this means so much to me. Thank you. Right. And it really yeah. does outshine all of the, you know, the stupid trolley comments and the things that we get that aren't that great. I'm going through one right now where it's kind of making me go cr- insane. I made this dumb video and just, you know, it, it does yeah, time after time after time you get these things that you go, Ugh. but then you get the messages that really echo in your mind about how it means something. And I love that you said TPS reports. Great office space reference there. Um, <laughs> I did that. I, t- I said that in a live the other day because people always ask me, like, what do you do for a living? And, you know, I don't want to say what my real job is. Sure. I mean, also, it's just boring. Like, you wouldn't even care if I told you. Right. Um, so I made that reference. Like, it's office space, TPS reports. And, like, the, the chat flooded with re- quotes from the movie. So... I'm going to start saying that from now on. That's what I do. It's a great way of filling it in because as soon as, for people who know it, as soon as you say TPS reports, you are given a visual image of that repetitive day job (laughs) in the cubicles. And you're like, oh, okay, I get it. I know the environment you're in. Um, And I, yeah, I'm I'm the same way. It's tough to make a living out of it. But I know that if we're patient, and this is me, this is pep talk Jacob here (laughs) for us both, which is I know that what's happening is, outside of what we're doing and making in the content that's free, people are acknowledging that there's value in it that are in positions to make things happen. And I think that that's pretty exciting. So um, I I know that if we keep after it, it's just a matter of time before a large enough group of people go like, I want to read, I want to watch, I want to consume just about anything this person does. And, and so that's pretty exciting. So I I think there's going to be some really cool stuff uh, on the horizon. It's just going to be, trucking along and continuing to make videos and putting up with absurd responses from people and cherishing <laughs> the kind words that happen along the way. Yeah, for sure. But, but uh, so I want to get into uh, one of the core elements of waterproof records since I started was, you know, I created the title and long story short for new people who haven't listened to old episodes of the show or when I established it and you're just jumping in because you know Patrick, I named it Waterproof Records because my son was taking a bath as a kid and he like had a CDR and and was like, dipping it in the water and he thought that was a record. And we were, <laughs> we were joking about naming a record store that we were going to own together. And, and I said, what should we call the store? My son, who was only three said mm-hmm. waterproof records and i was like oh <laughs> i cool love name. i was i was like that is such a cool <laughs> name and then that was where i came up with this idea of unsinkable tunes from the past present and future as kind of the tagline and sure. um and so i started thinking about like there are albums and and records and things that come into our lives and we are forever changed forever changed and yeah, when i absolutely. have musicians on the show that are in bands i say what was the one that you 
got and then you had to play drums or you had to play guitar or you had to play bass or or whatever it was you know uh Kay Hanley from Letters to Cleo is like what was the album that like changed everything and and this question is hard for people because they're like oh there's so many <laughs> right no, there's but a I, lot. I beg them to fixate on something that really really landed at that time in your life and you'll always remember and so when I asked you to be on the show I was like what was that album? And 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 let me let me just tell the audience. I told him that 15 minutes before we were supposed to record the <laughs> podcast last week, and then I couldn't do it. And he was kind of like, "Wow, you really threw me like a curveball before the show that I had to have that ready." So I'm glad you've had a week. Now that you've had a week, what is the album that you're bringing in here today? The album I am bringing in is Notorious B.I.G.'s "Ready to Die." His Boom. debut album, 1994, Masterpiece. Um, let me tell you a little bit why I picked this one. I want to know. <clears throat> so you kind of gave me the, the pitch, and I've listened to episodes before, and usually you have on musicians, or at least people who are currently pursuing it. Yeah. Right. So usually it's like, what is the you know the, the album that made you want to pick up an instrument? So I, I, w- I did pick up an instrument at one point in my life, like I played guitar, but that's not why you're having me on. Like you're having me on because I'm like a music storyteller. So if I'm thinking about like what made me pick up a guitar and want to start a band, it is like the Smashing Pumpkins. So I wore this in honor, like Siamese Dream. When, when I first bought a guitar, the first thing I bought was the Siamese Dream guitar tablature book, which was all way over my head. It was way too hard for me. Um, <laughs> but uh, like Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana were like the two big bands that were like my big obsession bands that made me want to be in bands. Um, but, you know, if I'm thinking about like, why do I do what I do now? Like tell stories about music. And especially on my channel, you know, if anybody has watched my videos, they run the gamut of genre. So, you know, I cover every genre that I can possibly find good stories in. So I've done country artists, I've done heavy metal, I've done alternative, I've done hip hop. Um, And so the record that really made me fall in love with hip hop and I think really expanded my mind towards different music was this record. And... um, you know, I had always liked hip hop. Like I grew up just watching MTV all day as I kind of was, you know, I went to a babysitter's house. I was plopped in front of the TV and I just watched whatever was on MTV. So I like in the 90s just soaked up whatever was on. So Nirvana was followed by TLC, was followed by Nine Inch Nails, was followed by like Snoop Dogg. And I was just like, I love all this stuff. But when I bought records, I started off buying like alternative stuff that that was like the music that felt like this is like my music nirvana is my band smashing pumpkins this is mine and uh and i didn't buy hip-hop records so i didn't have this album when it came out in 1994 um it was like a hand-me-down from a family friend who knew that i loved music and he gave me a cassette tape copy which i, I assume he probably bought his own copy on cd so he's like i don't need this anymore right and right. he gave me this cassette copy and it was the first hip-hop album i'd ever listened to front to back and it just blew me away in terms of like the storytelling and the cinematic aspects of it. Uh, I mean, Biggie is known for being like an incredible storyteller. Like you close your eyes, he's painting a sonic picture where you can envision everything that's going on. And I just had never really heard music like that. Um, and when I think back, like, why do I tell musical stories? I mean, 
Nirvana like would reference in interviews, right? They'd be like, we love the knack and we love Black Sabbath and we love Flipper, but they weren't singing songs like referencing those bands and they weren't, although Smells Like Teen Spirit kind of sounds like Boston, it's not like over yeah. the literal more than a feeling riff, they were singing about how much Boston like meant to them or something. And with hip hop, so much is involved with paying respect to the past. And then it's a, a music that's like an ever evolving tradition. Um, and that just made me want to like explore more. Like I love hearing a song like, uh, you know, Big Papa on this record. I'm like, what is this? What is underneath this? What does this sound come from? And then I go back and find, you know, the Isley Brothers between the sheets. And I was like, oh my God, like this opens me up to this whole other world of 70s soul and funk and all this stuff. And um, so if I just think like, why do I love music history and storytelling? Hip hop is a big part of it. And this album is kind of my intro into that world yeah amazing i've talked for a long time sorry no i was captivated i was captivated (laughs) because i um when you let me know that this was the album uh, you know and i'll i'm going to take just a second to bring the audience up to speed on my end before we dig into it in case they weren't aware of this because you and i talked a little bit about it off the air Um, you know, when I, I, we spoke earlier about you being from Southern California and me being originally from Oklahoma. One of the things I shared with you was, um, growing up in, in the 1980s and into the 1990s, you know, my teenage years were in the nineties in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My high school was as cliche as you could get. It was uh, like a John Hughes movie. Uh, Cliche is in the Midwest, you know, like something you'd see on the films with like the, social groups of the of the grunge kids the jocks the nerds it was straight out of like wow somebody could come in here and be like this is a movie uh high school we had an obsession with football um very very big football school and my graduating class was 900 kids all in all it was close to 4,000 in my high school so very large um and so for me in my childhood uh i wasn't very cool i was a theater kid i was um uh, very emotional, very expressive. And I found a lot of solace in alternative music and grunge music and rock music and metal and anything yeah. that was heavy because I didn't play sports. So I didn't have any way to get that angst out. I didn't have any way. I didn't have a channel or a place for my aggressions to come out. And music was the place where I got that, that out of me. And um, theater, of course, would be a huge thing for me too, because acting and performance is another way to express yourself. But I, I, um, I really leaned on that music. And where I grew up, people who listened to hip hop and people who listened to country, people who listened to pop, were different circles. And oftentimes, sure. the popular music was those kids were the ones who picked on me. And so I was so dismissive of hip hop in the nineties as a teenager. And I say that to my audience so that you understand how little knowledge and experience I have coming into this and why you never see stuff. And I've, I've hinted on this before on the show, why you never see me talking about albums that are hip hop albums or major pop albums um, in my videos, because I have no nostalgic reference point for them. And while I hear them today, I go, wow, this is fantastic. (laughs) This album is the perfect example of something that I feel a little bit of sadness that I was deprived of it. Yeah. Because I missed out. out Because you want to talk about story and cinematic elements, what you just said. 
I was like, here's a guy who ended up screenwriting and writing, you know, scripts for film and TV also out here and has wanted to write books and was an English major and, you know, did all of that was grew up. My mother is a teacher and I grew up with English and stories and that is a huge part of my life. And people have often described me as a storyteller, just like you. They've said like, sure. well, Jacob, Jacob's a storyteller. That's what he does. And yeah. I, I was listening to this album and I was like, oh my God, because <laughs> this doesn't, the one thing that I'm learning more and more as I dig deeper into hip hop is Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, all these bands that I was growing up with, metal bands, whatnot. Some of them might've had like, uh, a thematic album, especially in metal and, 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 and that genre. But the way that this album is like having scenes, gunshots, dialogue, segues, mm-hmm. lyrics where you literally are hearing what the protagonist is right, going there's through. Yeah. There's dialogue. Yeah. It's literally yeah, it's like a, a film with a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think that if I had somehow been able to, um, not have the experience that I did growing up, I probably would have been able to get into this and been like, wow, I, this is incredible. This is a, this is a masterpiece. And it really is a yeah. masterpiece. So no, I, I think so too. I mean, to, to be fair, I mean, if you just heard the singles on the radio, I think it doesn't give you the full picture of what no. this album is. Um, no. and there's a reason for that where we, we can get into that later maybe, but, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, it starts off with like literally his birth and then it's, yeah, not just this autobiography of him as a person and then the kind of the character that he plays on the record, but like of music too. So it starts off with like Curtis Mayfield playing and like you hear the music like of the time period, uh, you know, that he was born in and then the evolution into like old school hip hop. Um, And it's just from that first track, it's like, oh, we're going on like a journey here. And uh, yeah, you're right. There's interludes, there's skits, and it's got everything you would want in a movie. Um, I, I, you know, tend to think of it like sometimes, you know, because I do have so many rock and roll friends and I do have sometimes, you know, separate circles. Like I have my punk rock friends who don't listen to the hip hop that I listen to. I have uh, my hip hop friends that are like this screaming is crazy. And um, and I try to, you know, tell the other groups like that there's good music in these different genres. And so for my rock friends that are like, oh, I don't, you know, it's it's violent or it's misogynistic or, you know, it's just, it's materialistic. If you really listen to the great hip hop albums like like Ready to Die, like so much of this is is storytelling. And it's like, he's like Christopher Wallace, the Notorious B.I.G., is telling stories about the life that he saw growing up. And some of it is personal, like some of his, he lived, but some of it, you know, he has a whole song, uh, Give Me the Loot, that's this uh, imagined robbery and, you know, he was not, Notorious B.I.G. was not really out there robbing pregnant mothers. Like, he was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a, a, a story that he's telling. And it's, so I try to explain to them, like, you know, when you watch Goodfellas, like, you don't think, like, oh, my God, Martin Scorsese is this horrible person. Like, well, how could he put this? I mean, some people do, but, like, I think if right. you're a film lover or, like, Quentin Tarantino, like, like this that's violent but there's like a point to it like this is art and i think a lot of people are dismissive of that in hip-hop probably for racism reasons a lot of the time yes absolutely if you truly like listen to albums like this it's like to me it's on the level of like goodfellas pulp fiction like they're violent 
are they misogynistic at times? Yes. But like, so is, so are those movies, you know, it's, it's putting you into this world and telling you this story. And I just, I love it. Yeah. Incredible. And I, I wasn't aware. And I think that's because the glimpses that you're given of the genre of hip hop, rap, gangster rap, all of that, that was going on in the nineties, you're getting a, a peek into, um, a music video. You're getting an sure. MTV news cutaway story about a feud between Biggie and Tupac. And you're, you're getting, and you just, that's all you're getting fed. And if you don't take the time to explore the album, you know, like I knew the song big Papa and I, I'm yeah. pretty sure I had heard the song juicy before. So I knew the hits and my, my roommate in college used to always walk in the house and go, I love it when you call me big Papa. <laughs> he used to always say that. And so I was like, I know that's Biggie. <laughs> Sure. And uh, and so I, I was familiar with it, but a real the real way to get into this album and many albums um, in this genre is to understand that there is a story and that there's a this is a this is a play. This is a film. Um, right, exactly. And, and I don't think I knew that. And, and, and similar. Another thing that I've never gotten into. Were you ever into uh, wrestling like uh, professional wrestling? WWE, WWE. I mean, when I was a kid. Big time. I talk about all the time, like one of the traumatic events of my childhood was when my mom told me wrestling was not real. Um, <laughs> and I I wrote a letter to the editor of the newspaper being like, because there was no internet to look it up. I was like, my mom is telling me wrestling is not real. I don't believe it. Can you fact check this for me? Um, I never heard back. but Never heard back. They didn't want to break your spirit. Well, I was going to say, I didn't, it was never a thing for me, but this is an example of another thing. I never got into wrestling. I knew kids that were crazy about it. And now as we live in this time where everybody um, reflects and is nostalgic on their childhood, I see so many people I knew who grew up with it. And then it was explained to me at one point in time that it's like, it's like being into comic books um, when you're in wrestling because there's characters, there's good guys, there's bad guys. You're going to watch them battle it out. There are stories at play about rivalries and who's getting. And I was like, oh, so like so many things, if you don't have the full kind of understanding of what the artist is trying to create here, you can be dismissive of it. And this album, I, sure. ha- I have to believe that it it had to have been a little bit um, like I, when I saw the song about suicide. I was yeah, like that. that that's a even though he's telling a story that had to have been something relatively vulnerable to be putting up there in 1994 for the hip hop genre, which was <clears throat> known for being tough, strong. Yeah, no, uh, not talking about mental health. And I thought that had to have been kind of a whoa thing. Back no, 100 percent. I mean, that's part of what made Biggie so special is that, you know, he did have like this bravado, but then he would kind of peel back the layers and have these emotional moments like on this record he talks about his you know mom having breast cancer and like you know this is why i'm stressed and you know he he talks about you know he's got these misogynistic lyrics and then you find out in a song that the heart of it is he was you know rejected by a woman and he's hurt and he's like expressing that pain and then yeah the the album ends with suicidal thoughts and i mean there were you know there were obviously some hip-hop groups doing that but uh, singing songs like that but most of the mainstream ones were not. And especially in 94 when, you know, West Coast hip hop was kind of ruling the the charts in the hip hop world. Like, you know, Snoop, as much as I love him, was not singing about like, you know, no. vulnerable stuff and, you know, no. depression and stuff. Um, so it, it was very refreshing, you know, at the time. 
Yeah. Snoop was probably so much more well embraced by young teens in, in my area because it was party. It was good times. Right. It was feel good. <laughs> uh, you know, like when you heard Snoop Dogg, it was it was a guy, uh, you know, saying, hey, we're going to we're going to get fucked up. We're going to we're going to kick it. And I think that teenagers are like, hell yeah. And I, I really now know that I've always had a little bit of a um, melancholy spirit. You know, I think I think people <laughs> who are people who are and I mean that as a, you know, a smashing pumpkins. But I was going to say um, people who are entertainers and are big personalities often have a lot of. Uh, heartache and sadness and and things that they really hide from people. And so I really connected with um, alternative and and that genre because these guys were talking about how much they were hurting and how depressed they were and going through the anguish. And so I really wish I had uh, known about this album even more so because I think I would have found a lot of um, interesting connections in that that level of vulnerability. And uh, for sure. Yeah, and and correct me if I'm wrong on this. I tried to do a little research. I listened to it start to finish, and I did a little research, and this is his only studio album release before he died. In his lifetime, yeah. In his lifetime. This is the only thing. And I was like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. That's unbelievable. Yeah, his, his second record, Life After Death, came out like a couple weeks after he died. So it was already done and everything, and it... You know, it was, uh, but he didn't get to see it become a huge success. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, uh, that blows my mind. It also blows my mind. He was 21 years old when he made this record. Like, <laughs> 21. The, the older I get when I look back at like these amazing records that, like, you know, he's a l- little bit older than me. So when I was a kid, I was like, this is a grown adult man. Right. And now that I'm older, I'm looking back, it's like, no, he was a kid. 21. 21 like and he made i mean a masterpiece and then made another one i think both of his records are amazing that's yeah it when i read that too i saw the thing about being 21 and you're you're so right i think about me as at 21 right and i go i go look i I, we've both done great things we have but i (laughs) i look back and i go how (laughs) how much art and focus and drive did I have at 21 to really, really see through, you know, a life changing album? Not so much. I was I was still figuring out uh, how to cure a hangover. And, <laughs> uh, you know, so it's just funny um, when you look back on a lot of these guys. And I think there is a phenomenon, too. Right. Um, when you see them as older, they'll always seem older in your mind. Yes. Yeah. It's like I always do this. I always tell this as the example. Um, on the Wonder Years, Kevin Arnold's older brother will always seem older than me, even though I look back on the episodes and I go, he's a child. But right. I go, I can't see him as anything other than an older brother. And he he feels and looks older because that's how I perceived him when I was younger. So, yeah, I think no, that's pretty course. fascinating. Um, but what are some of the things that really connected for you uh, about Ready to Die um, I mean, you've said a ton of them, but I just want to give you full liberty to kind of say th- these <laughs> things or that, whatever else that, that, uh, we haven't gotten into yet. Sure. Sure. So I think, you know, when I first listened to it, I think I knew big Papa and I liked the song, um, mm. and, and I maybe had heard juicy, but, um, so I, I don't know if you know the story about how the album was recorded, but it's, I don't. 
I don't, okay, and that's so. that's why I asked Patrick Hicks music stories on my show because I knew he'd <laughs> tell me a story. This is a story about what, Patrick? This is a story about what? <laughs> oh, great question. This is a story about um, wrestling with yourself, or this Ooh. is a story about you know two sides of yourself. Yes, um, something with dual the dual nature of man. The mm, I love the it. man who contains multitudes. I'll have to think of it. So. I'll try to do it pretty quick. So Notorious B.I.G. is uh, discovered by this guy, Sean Combs, the time known as Puff, Puff Daddy. And um, his demo tape makes its way to Puff Daddy through a contact at the Source magazine. And Puff is like blown away. So Puffy also has a great story. We got to get into that like a little bit. So Puffy was just like this college student who threw parties. He's not really a musician. He was like more of a promoter and just like a insane businessman and um so while he's in college he dropped out i think his sophomore year but uh he goes to uptown records which is run by this guy andre harrell and um he's like let me intern at your company and andre harrell like gives him a chance and then he from an intern works his way up to be like the vice president of the company um and one of the ways he does that is andre harrell signs this singer named mary j blige who didn't really fit with the roster like it was a hip-hop label and so they signed this r&b singer but then she's also not what people thought of as r&b singers like she was like from the ghetto like she was like street and thug and she was not whitney houston she was not mariah carey so they like didn't know what to do so they connect her with puffy who's this young like i don't know if he was still an intern or if he wasn't he was like just out of internship and he's like a low low level guy and he was like, I know exactly what to do with her. She's going to sing R&B hooks over hip-hop beats. And we're not going to try to change her image. We're going like, to lean into it. And basically creates a whole new subgenre of like hip-hop soul. And their album comes out, uh, What's the 411? And is a huge success, like multi-platinum album. And it kind of makes Puffy's career. And then he works with like Jodeci and, and these other groups. So he's like this wonderkind. Um now he wants to sign Biggie and he's never worked with like just a rapper before he's done like R&B acts, but he hears like the musicality in Biggie's rapping. And it's like, it's not just, you know, he doesn't sound like other rappers. Like he has this quality that's almost like singing, like his raps yeah. are so catchy. Yes. And so he signs him to Uptown Records and then um, they start working on the album. They start recording it and Biggie still new. He's done a couple singles, but he's, nervous he's kind of like he has a little bit of a higher pitched voice and the songs are like hardcore and one of the songs that they record is this song give me the loot which is probably my favorite song on the record it's like the third song on the record yeah. so this does kind of answer your question because you're like what got you what first connected you yeah. it was this song it's the third track on give the me record. the loot give me the loot and when i heard this song it just blew me away and um it's basically telling the story of uh, a robbery but Biggie is playing two different characters. He's like kind of an older, wiser, more grounded criminal. And then he's also playing this like young upstart crazy. You know, it's almost like Robert De Niro versus Joe Pesci. Sure. Telling the story in the same song. And like, and he recorded, like he went in the booth, recorded one part, left blanks, and then went back in and like recorded, you know, he duetted with himself, which is just insane. Insane. And, uh, and the story's so good. And it's just funny and like 
you know, it's like a Quentin Tarantino movie or a Martin Scorsese movie, like I said. Um, but there's just a line in there that's just harsh. That's like, um, like he's, uh, I'm even robbing pregnant women and I'm stealing the number one mom pendant from around their neck. And then there's a line later where he's like, um, you know, getting strangled for their earrings and bangles. Like it's just wow. super violent. Right. And Andre, uh, Harrell, who was like, you know, uh, Ne- uh, older guy who's like more of the early 80s hip-hop was like this is insane you can't say this stuff on a record yeah. like yeah. Y- this is too hardcore and but biggie's like this is real this is, this is kind of the stuff i saw out of my window in the neighborhood like this is real right. stuff and um so there's this conflict so puff daddy gets fired from uptown and there's like a lot to it it's basically like puffy had this great metaphor where he's like you had two kings in the castle and it was Andre's castle, so I got thrown in the moat. So Puffy wow. gets fired, and a, a week later he starts his own company, Bad Boy. But um, when he gets fired, he's the reason that Notorious B.I.G. is on the label. So when he gets fired, Notorious B.I.G.'s deal is like in limbo. He thinks it's right. over. Like I missed my shot. My guy who was fighting for me is fired. So Biggie goes. Um, and leaves and goes back to selling drugs because he's like, well, I need money. I have a daughter. Um, I don't know what else to do. I'm a young kid. So he goes back to selling drugs. And then um, a week later, Puff Daddy has to call him and be like, okay, I started my own company. I got Because he's been so successful, he gets like a distribution deal with with uh, a big label, Arista Records. And uh, he's like, come back. Like, stop selling drugs. Come back into the studio. <laughs> get, get off the streets. Come on. Come on. Yeah. And when he comes back into the studio, he's kind of different. Like, his voice is deeper. He's just like, he grew up a lot in between these two sessions. And when they come back, Puffy's also like, we need some singles. Like, Give Me the Loot is not going on the radio. Um, yeah. It's also, it's so weird. Like, I remember when I had the cassette tape. It's an explicit lyrics tape. Um, but those lines are scrambled. Like, the, the strangled and the, like... The, the part about the number one mom pendant like i'm really I so think they, the they, line is, they deleted them or 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 mixed them in there yeah, where the, you can't hear it even though the tape itself says explicit right so i wow. mean there's plenty of horrible stuff i mean there's literally like porno sounds on the record but yeah, i heard that the, the two lines i don't care if you're pregnant i'll steal the number one mom pendant and the strangled for the earrings and bangles strangled and pregnant are like backwards masked so it's like garbled when you hear it Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't, I can't think of another example of a record where it was like, this is explicit, but we're still bleeping this one part. Yeah. Um, but so Puff is like, all right, that's not going on the radio. We need some singles. So when he comes back, he starts recording more commercial radio friendly stuff. So Juicy, uh, Big Papa, One More Chance, these are all recorded in the second session. So when you hear the record, like one of the reasons I think it's such a masterpiece is you have these two competing styles almost whereas like i think with most artists you would have recorded your first album and it would have been the hardcore you know just gangsta stuff and then maybe on your second album they would have been like all right let's be more commercial and that's when you you'd have your big hit singles and this one's kind of mashed together so now you get this perfect balance of like hardcore stuff and then your your popular radio singles and you have wow violent songs love songs like you know these raw emotional songs it's like everything is contained on this record which is like part of the reason i love it so much but um 
So that's a really long way of answering the question. But when I first started giving the loot, I was just like, this guy is a genius. I understand why it was not the radio hit. And I'm like grateful for the radio hits on there. But that was the first song when I was listening to it where I was like, to paint this picture, tell this story, be funny. Like some of his lines are just still make me laugh out loud. Uh, it's just like, I was like, this guy is a genius. He's special. Man, that was great. That was great. You um, really got the assignment when I said <laughs> the record. You you nailed it because, to your point, I had always asked people the waterproof record that they had, and it had to do with what their choice was in life. And yeah. and you really nailed it because you thought long and hard. You were like, yeah, well, what what caused me to pick up a guitar is very different than what caused me to want to tell stories. And so here today, you proved why this was the album that really opened that door because you just told me uh, an unbelievable story <laughs> that is something that you 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 need to know it in order to really digest ready to die yeah. oh, for and sure. uh, to look at the cover and and see a baby on it and uh, hear how the tone shifts from song to song and voice quality and vocal quality and what an unbelievable thing that during the the only studio album while he's alive that he gets to do this snapshot, this glimpse of a, a heightened version of his story. You know what I mean? It's his story, right. but it's also it's also uh, elements of fiction in there just to tell a good tale. But um, it really is something special, and I I am going to encourage people who listen to the show who listen because I do the artist that you're familiar with. If you two are like me and you don't know a lot about hip hop, I think this is a really cool album that you need to check out and experience and really see the story that's in there. So I'm I am thrilled that we accidentally fell into a Patrick Hicks music story, um, just like <laughs> you do on your videos. Have you done uh, Ready to Die or, or Notorious B.I.G. in your in your TikToks yet? No. Um, okay. I did do Mary J. Blige, so I talked a little bit about Puffy there. Puffy is just kind of needs his whole own. Yeah, I don't know more than I can do in a short TikTok, and and same with Biggie too. There's a lot of artists that like I haven't really touched because they're so big for me. Yeah. Um, like I haven't really like I you know if you don't know my work, I usually do like origin stories, like where did this band come from and how did they start, which is what I really like, and I haven't done them for some of my favorite bands like Nirvana, The Pumpkins. Yeah. Or Biggie or Tupac. Or it's it's almost like, oh, what if I mess that up? Like, you know what I mean? Like I get it. I get it. I'm there's a lot of pressure to make those ones, you know, stand out. But um I mean it's amazing with artists like you know, like you said, where it's this is his only album in his lifetime and it contains so much. There's some artists where it's just eerie almost. Like Yeah. Like that they it's almost like they knew they were going to have a limited time and they were like, I'm getting it all out there. Like, yeah, you know, I'm getting everything I wanted to. I mean, he tells the fact that he dies so young, you know, he's 24 and his only albums are ready to die and life after death, which comes out after he died. I mean, it's that is spooky, eerie, eerie stuff. Yeah, very spooky. <laughs> wow, That's unbelievable. Well, I'm excited to see when they finally do happen and you make them because I'll uh, I'll be able to watch them and go. I knew all this for sure. <laughs> um, but I understand about being intimidated about your biggest artists. I almost didn't release the mayonnaise TikTok. 
And that's, mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever told you that story, but I almost didn't do no. it. Um, it just like what you said, um, that is the biggest band and the biggest song for me. So yeah. I, I made it. And then I immediately thought, is this like, did I, did I do this wrong? Is this going to come across <laughs> like I'm poking fun at something that is um, so meaningful to me? And so I really oh, kind of obsessed. Yeah, I know. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I, am, I almost didn't put it out there. I'm glad I did. But yeah, it was no, it was sure. one of those one things of your that, best videos. Yeah, thank you. And yeah. I appreciate that. And I, I think that that's interesting that um, when you have something that is really, really high up and you hold it uh, on a high regard, it is harder. Because you go, I want to do it the best, most perfect way possible, and uh, and so that that makes sense why some of these artists that you that you really really admire, you're like, I don't know yeah. if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready to touch it yet. You know, I know. But incredible, dude! Incredible. What a yeah, story. Thanks. Yeah. Is there any other? Um, I was trying to think. I was. I tried to do a little research. Um, before I came in, so I had some stats on it. Apparently, he didn't want to do Juicy. Apparently, that was a song no. he didn't want to do. Um, so, go ahead. I mean, Juicy is a whole other story into itself. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's really fascinating. I mean, that's why I say Puff Daddy is such an interesting guy. I mean, he's such a smart businessman, but he's—you can tell he's not a musician. So, yeah, the the origin of Juicy is that. Uh, it's it's based on a sample of a song called Juicy Fruit by this artist Matume. And uh Puffy is the one that wanted to use it and he just went to the producer and was like, This would be a good song to make, you know, to to sample. So the producer is like, Okay, let me see, like what am I gonna do? How am I gonna flip it? Like and Puffy's kinda like, No, 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 don't flip it. I just want him rapping over Juicy Fruit. And the producer's kinda like, Well, that's not what hip hop sampling is. That's what a lot of people's impression of hip hop sampling is. And a lot of it is because like Juicy is one of the first songs where it's like literally just the song. Him, like the sample <laughs> is not transformed, which yeah. uh, Matume was not too happy about. But um, but that was kind of Puffy's vision. And if you listen to songs like that, he did after like, um, you know, I'll be missing you. The Sting song it's it's literally the- just him rapping over the Sting song. Totally. Totally. And, um, but that's because he was not a producer. He's the executive producer, and his voice is all over the album. But he was not, you know, producer like DJ Premier and um, the you know some of the other guys uh, that were on this record. the The art of sampling is actually transforming, and like you want people to not even know what you're sampling to be like, "Ooh, where'd you get that cool drum break from?" Like that's what DJs are really about. And Puffy, you know, is like, "No, we want to make hits." Rap over between the sheets, rap over Juicy wow. Fruit. So yeah, so Biggie's like, no. I mean, the producers didn't really want to do it. Biggie didn't really want to do it. But I mean, that song is still, at least in Chicago, that song's on the radio all the time to this yeah. day. So you got to kind of give him credit for <laughs> he had, you know, the ear for the hits. Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, if it, I like the fact that it's on there because it's surrounded by you know, this other harder stuff. So I do like the song. And I mean, the lyrics are timeless. Yeah. But, um, but he had to pay. I mean, could be a whole, whole other thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had to pay a ton in royalties. I think it was like, I thought I saw it was like $2.8 million had to be paid just for the royalties on this album because of all the 
the samplings and stuff that people were like, hey. <laughs> they also, yeah, they also got in trouble um, for not clearing a lot of the samples on here. And this yeah. is still, I mean, it's 94, so it's like golden age of hip hop, but it's still early in the sampling yeah. game, like relatively. So the sure. lawsuits that kind of established the procedures for sampling were fresh. So so those producers, I mean, these are old school 80s producers that are making this record. Um they're still kind of of the mind of like, if it's transformed enough and if it's just this little amount of it, like we're not crediting people or paying people for that. And they learn the hard way that now this in the new world of, you know, copyright uh, infringement lawsuits, you could take one second of a song and you got to pay for it. So, yeah. Yeah. And then it, it started to change after that. Right. It was early. Um, but I was going to say that's pretty much the show, man. I know you got stuff to do. And thanks for having, thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. And actually that went even better than I thought. I mean, I, am I even surprised we get along so well <laughs> and I'm sure this is the first of tons of videos that we'll be making together, um, over the years. But I was going to say I coming into this, I didn't know what to expect because usually if I have a guest on and we're talking about an album, I'm like, Oh, I know it so well. This is like the first time. Yeah that I had somebody on and I listened to it beforehand and I was like, now I need to listen to it again. And Good. I learned yeah. so much. You educated me. You Patrick Hicked <laughs> me. Um, so uh, it was, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. Good. Is there, is, yeah. Is there anything uh, we can shout out? Uh, let's, let's make sure we tell them where to follow you. Not only do we say TikTok, TikTok, which is Patrick Hicks 82, but if you search Patrick Hicks, you'll find him. He's at the top. Um, but you're also on Instagram and that's, yeah, I, I do post on Instagram and YouTube if people are not, you know, about TikTok. Yeah. Um, my, my dad, when he tells people to watch my videos, he's like, you just go in, search them on the Google, you'll find them. <laughs> you'll so. find them. Just type in Patrick <laughs> Hicks. That's true. I mean, Hey, I got to give credit to, uh, to TikTok at least for making it where if you type Jacob Gibbons into Google now. I am the first result, and I would imagine you're the first Patrick Hicks. And it's uh, before TikTok, that was not the case. So I'm I'm very thankful. Um, Whatever happened with the Jacob Givens who didn't have the? Oh, I don't know. I don't know what that asshole is sitting on my handle (laughs) for no reason. But I own. Not that I do anything. Destroyed him. (laughs) It killed him. It crushed him. He just was like, I'll never live up. Um, I have jacobgivens.com, which I've owned for, oh, I don't know, like 15 years. I just don't do anything oh. with it. But I've I've sat on it, and I've been like, one day. Um, but I – and also in all the emails when, you know, I'm old enough that I was the first Jacob Givens to get so many email addresses. And um, and I've had other Jacob Givenses reach out to me and, and be like, man, <laughs> you have all that? the <laughs> – I I have Patrick Hicks at Gmail and I just yeah. get so much stuff that's not intended oh, for me. Yeah. Oh man, we just outed our emails on here. Should I bleep that part out? We just this is no, gonna I go out hundreds of thousands of people. My email is in my profile, so please, yeah. if you have business inquiries, please email me at patrickhicks <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> you might be getting a lot of emails. And by the way, I meant hundreds to thousands, not hundreds of thousands. I'm not that big of a show yet. <laughs> I was like, dang, I didn't realize. <laughs> you were like, yeah, this is listened to by millions. No, no, it does good. I have, I, I, I mean, look, there's a good audience and I'm grateful for every single one of you. So thank you for, for, uh, for doing it. But, um, thank you again for joining me, Patrick. Yeah. I'm thank gonna, you for having me. Yeah, man. I, it was so good to have you on here and it was amazing. And I learned so much. 
And uh, I will I will talk to you soon. I'm going to say goodbye to the to the audience up here. So you're welcome to sit through it, right. or you can sign off. Whatever you'd like to do. I'm going to sit through it. I want to hear it. All right, all right. <laughs> Thank you guys again for joining me for another episode of Waterproof Records. What a thrilling time it was to have my good friend Patrick Hicks on here. I just loved learning so much about it, and I honestly do hope that if you're just a if you're just a metalhead, a rockhead, and you haven't put that hip hop hat on, now's the time. Um, once again, shout out to DistroKid, my sponsor. Uh, make sure to check out that link, distrokid.com/vip/waterproof. Um, and you can get 30% off for your first year. Uh, and thank you guys again. Remember, I can't do this show without you. So go in and comment and give me the, the ratings. And if, if you hate the show, feel free to say it. That's fine. Um, press is good press. You know, all press is good press. But uh, sh- share it. Tell it to friends and uh, let them know uh, about the show so that I can keep growing this and we can keep making more and more shows together. And who knows? Now that uh, me and Patrick are doing super collaborations like this, maybe there'll be like a special super podcast coming your way at some point in time um, with the three of us. So thank you again, everybody. This has been Waterproof Records. We'll see you next time.